Here is part two of my conversation with activist, filmmaker, and speaker, Dr. Bev Dietzi. We now explore her latest work, the documentary titled Lesbians Free Everyone, A Beijing Retrospect. But let's address uh, the film. Let's address all those years ago, 25 years ago, uh, absolutely this historic revolutionary moment. The song that keeps playing in my head or the chant that keeps playing in my head, which is from your film, lesbian rights are human rights. Lesbian rights are human rights, which is the chant that could be heard in the streets of Beijing um, during that conference. How did yeah. you get to, to go? Um, it, my whole life feels like serendipity. I don't think anybody could have scripted it. I swear, if somebody had scripted this as a drama, it yeah. would have been rejected for being just so convoluted. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, a lot of it is so accidental. Mm. That and, and I think maybe that's why my spirituality is also so strong. I really believe that I was meant to be here. I was meant to do exactly what I'm doing and to follow it. And whenever I don't follow, something happens that brings me back. Yeah. Like even when I try to leave, something always brings me back. Um, so I had gone with Simon and Cordy to a international gay association conference. Um, and that was in New York. And I think it was one of my first international trips or my first um, U.S. trip. And that was 1994. Um, and in 94, I met international organizations and already people were working on the Beijing conference. Mm -hmm. um, there was a lot of preparatory meetings that were happening. Um, and so I, I, I met these amazing activists and they all kept saying, so do you know who's coming from South Africa? And I remember just saying, no, um, no. Like, well, I mean, you know, you are a leader in, in the space and just check who is coming. And if nobody else is coming, let's see if we can get you there. And in that year, because it was 94, I think I kind of forgot about it a little bit. And mm -hmm. in earlier in 95, I went back to the U.S. on, on a kind of a research fundraising mission um, and met some of the same people. In fact, Agendo Murungi, who also passed away, my friend from Kenya, was mm -hmm. the one who said, you know, listen, we still don't have a, representat a representative from the South. Um, there's somebody from Namibia, um, but can we, can you, can, and immediately they hooked me up with a ticket. Um, and I think wow. that's when my biggest fight in GLOW happened is that mm. I came back home and I was already guaranteed a ticket and I was being asked by some GLOW members, where, why, where are you going? So, mm. you know, your job is now to gallivant the world. Is that it? doing things that have nothing to do with us because, you know, these women things and these lesbian things, uh, no, these, this is a women's conference. It has nothing to do with the, with the lesbian and gay community. Oh, so even that thinking, here you are doing something historical, a young black African gender non-conforming lesbian mm -hmm. woman standing on that stage, number one. Secondly, you're challenging the United Nations to take into their considerations in advancing equality, the realities of LGBT people. And yet within activist organizations such as GLOW, this very thinking is being rejected? Exactly, because for some reason, lesbians cannot be women. Because I mean, that's how, that's how patriarchy and, and, and hypermasculinity operates, is that you cannot possibly want to be associated with the weakness of women. What is that? Lesbians are trying to be men. Isn't that the running status? Even now, there are so many men who say, yeah, but you're trying to be a man. Like, okay, you, you, you want to believe that because you think that you are the be all and end all. So of course, that's what you would think. No. So no, we were never supposed to be women. So what are you doing at a women's conference? And so I got that within the queer community, within the gay and lesbian community. And I got that within the women's and the feminist movement who said, but you are not part of the women. But then, then where are we? Who are we if we are yes. not women? You know? Um, and so I, I left to go to China heartbroken. In fact, I left to go to China just to be specific. There is a clip in Simon and I where 
um, former President Mugabe had arrived in South Africa um, and had arrived at the airport and he had just uttered the words um, that gays and lesbians are worse than pigs and dogs. And when he arrived, we staged a protest at the airport. Yeah. That, that was the day before I got on a plane. And that, that particular day, I made a speech there at the airport and one of the GLOW members said to me, you know, when you come back, we have to talk about your position within GLOW because this doesn't make any sense that you are out there going to conferences that don't have anything to do with us. Mm-hmm. The next day I boarded a plane, arrived in China and on day one, inside China, in Beijing, arrived at the lesbian tent and I was the first one to make a speech. Exactly. At the tent. At the tent. This isn't even before the plenary. Oh, I see. Exactly. And so it just continued. It just continued that I found myself in a leadership position in China. I found myself continuing this leadership position inside the conference itself, which I was, I was also very nonchalant about it. I mean, it was, it was a given. I mean, you know, as far as I was concerned, why not? Um, I didn't give two thoughts to how or why. Mm. No, I just arrived and did what I needed to do and what I had to do. And every time somebody needed to volunteer to do something, I'd say, if nobody is interested, I'll do it. And that's actually what happened. Not that nobody was interested, but as a group, you felt that this shouldn't be someone from the West speaking. That was that the meaning could be even more layered. The meaning of that moment, of that historic moment, could be deepened further by having someone from someone who's who's black from this continent speaking, because. Part of the the narrative is also that you cannot be black, you cannot be African, rather, and lesbian. Exactly. And so the the idea was to then undo that. Yes. And then, of course, my light skin once again played a role. Mm. And, And it played a role in that as soon as I walked out from delivering that speech, you had a delegation of African women who said, well, you are already so melanin deficient that, of course, you are Western in your thinking and in your blood. That is why you can claim Africanness and claim this lesbian thing, but it doesn't exist in real African. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, the constant attempt to un-African un, un me, un-woman me, un-everything. Un um, because I just never fit the status quo, right? What does this do, Bev, to always constantly be fighting for your entire being? Like, just to, for it to be recognized, for it to be respected, acknowledged. It's, what does that do? It must be exhausting to go through life with this kind of barrage of microaggression of hate and, and terrorism? Um, I, I've become less aware of it. Yeah. I, I, I live in my bubble. I think it's self-preservation. Mm. <laughs> I, live, mm. I, live, I live in my bubble. Um, I, when I direct a series, for example, I arrive on set. As far as I'm concerned, everybody knows I'm out. Everybody knows who I am. So I go about my life. And I do what I need to do. And when somebody tries to confront or do something, I make sure I put them in their place in the most polite way possible and move on with my life. Yeah. Um, I, I, I blind myself because to consistently see it mm-hmm. is to be consistently angry and heartbroken. And, you know, you have writers and poets and, and um, some of my you know, favoritist warriors who say things like, um, whether you're talking June Jordan or Arundhati Roy, they would say things like, when you're black and you're a woman, you are already living in a place that was not designed for you to thrive and to flourish. Yeah. Um, our job is just to serve and to service. That's, that's mm-hmm. our job and to entertain, um, not to actually be full human beings. And so we are in perpetual states of anger. We are in perpetual states of trauma and of ulcers and of fibroids and ovarian cysts. We are carrying all these things in our bellies, literally, mm-hmm. these masses, mm-hmm. just simply because we are just not allowed to just be. Um, I, I cannot... I cannot 
I, I, I walk around and like I said, I can curate my life. I'm very, very fortunate that I surround myself with love. My partner is love. We have a communication that makes sure that we respect and love each other unconditionally. Um, I go home to my mom and I get all the love that I need. I have a spiritual mom who gives me all the love that I need. I have siblings. Mm-hmm. We have established a relationship that when I, even just my best friends, if I just need to go somewhere and just sit on somebody's couch, I have people I can go to. And so I've curated my life in a way that allows me sanctuary. Mm-hmm. And that's, that has been my survival is I'm surrounded by love. And so I block out everything else that tries to tell me that I should be anything other than just alive and beautiful and, and flourishing. Yes. So let's, I had let's to go. find me. Mm. So when you wrote that speech, I've read it and it is a powerful statement. I mean, you say sexuality is an integral, deeply ingrained part of every human being's life and should not be subject to debate or coercion. The clarity, the simplicity of the message uh, is what made it so stand out and also so powerful and revolutionary for the time. So tell me about writing it. Was it a contribution from your fellow activists? Take me to that place when you wrote it. Yes, we found out the night before that we would have five minutes. Um, Look, the issue of sexual orientation had been coming up at different United Nations conferences. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes it would come up, um, you know, during preparatory meetings. It was more prominent inside the NGO space because that's where a lot of NGOs would obviously gather. Um, And it would always be subject to all kinds of debate, right? Uh, But it was the first time that we actually could push sexual orientation into the main plenary at the United Nations. And that's what made it phenomenal. So I wasn't the first, because there had been others, the first United Nations conference was on women, was in 75 in Mexico City. Um, Mm -hmm. And, but they would not even entertain the idea of lesbians or of sexual orientation in the main plenary. So, you know, one person said something about it at the NGO and it created such an uproar that it was decided to never be broached again. And then, of course, you know, the subsequent conferences up until the Fourth World Conference in Beijing, this was the biggest push. And during that push, by the time we got together and we found out that we have five minutes to try and and make our point, um, I was sitting with about eight of us from all over the world. Um, and, And a lot of the women I was sitting with in that hotel room feature in the film. Um, and they speak to, to how this also came about. But we're talking delegates from Peru, Mexico, Thailand, Kenya, you know, there was all these different representatives from all these different spaces, but also these are feminist lesbian activists who are all professors and, you know, with very high English and very big, deep language (laughs) space. And here I was, 22, 24, was 23 or 24? 24, if I do my maths correctly, it's 24. Here I was, 24 years old, having just really started learning all these different languages because, you know, 19, 18, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 have have been like in the leadership of GLOW, literally learning, um, you know, activist language and human rights language and understanding what was going on. Um, But I was very young and very insecure in the space. Um, and so we, we, you know, when they said, okay, so somebody's got to speak, somebody, we have five minutes. And we all looked around the room and I said, well, <laughs> we are the first country that have like the first black president who actually in his speech in Cape Town, when he's just, when he just came out of Paulsmore, he actually mm-hmm. mentioned sexual orientation in his speech. Right. You know, like yeah. he did. And this was before the constitution was even finalized. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that, that was like, okay, so I come from the global South. I am an African. My president said sexual orientation. 
definitely I would be the, the perfect person to make the speech. And so I then started writing and we all contributed to make sure that it was this, the, the statement we want it, wanted it to be. Um, so I did the first draft and then we all got together and just kind of started working it. Well, I've told you before that I absolutely love the title. I love this title, Lesbians Free Everyone. Um, and as you say, it's a Beijing retrospect. Uh, and we'll talk about the, just the intimacy that you allow us to have. It's so intimate, the memories that you're sharing, your reflections um, with these women who've now become uh, uh, friends, you know, and fellow soldiers in this journey. But I just want us to stay with that title and its significance. The more I listen to you, the more I fall in love with it even more. I gave you my reasons before about how when we solve for the most vulnerable in our society, just understanding that thinking and how critical it is. But I then went back to a book um, that had made a statement as well. Mina Salami in her book uh, writes mm. that if black feminists, she, she, she talks about uh, a statement that uh, Gloria Steinman had made once mm. saying that black feminists invented the feminist movement. And she says, lesbian feminists have reinvented it time and time again. Um, the feminist movement owes so much of its success to the radical perspectives brought to it by lesbians. And mm -hmm. it just so much dropped in my head about the mm -hmm. progress and the nature of the conversations that have happened, that we didn't stop at level one in terms of uh, 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 winning a particular struggle, right? It kept deepening our sense of the injustices, kept deepening precisely because of the thinking and the perspective that is brought by lesbians. Yep. yep. I just and love of course, that title. The, the, the divisions that came about, what do they call it when they, when, you know, when feminism kind of started becoming more mainstream, yeah. where yeah. it was so easy to insult cishet women um, by just saying, ah, are you a lesbian? Which then is like an insult, right? Yeah. Um, because, oh no, you don't want to be known as that. I mean, I would hear people say, I'm not a feminist because feminist equaled lesbian. Mm -hmm. It just got to that point where you then kind of dial it back just slightly and say, are you in university? Can you own property? Are you able to take care of your own kids? Do you pay your own medical bills? Do you have your own personal bank account? Hmm. Had it not been for these feminists that you so hate, you wouldn't have any of this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, it was, I, the title gave me goosebumps because initially there was this banner from the, the march in Beijing, in Huairu, um, that lesbian march. And the, and, and the banner kept kind of going past me. And I remember one, 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 one of the activists um, had, had interpreted it as lesbians are everywhere. And so for the longest time, we just kind of been going, oh yeah, this banner says lesbians are everywhere. Mm. But early this year, I think it was Rachel Rosenblum who said, nah, guys, that banner says, lesbians free everyone. Everyone. Oh, I see. And I just went, because oh, I'd been titling this film everything. I mean, like it had all kinds of silly names. It, <laughs> you know, I mean, at one point it was just simply going to be the lesbian tent. Oh, okay. And, you know, and then my partner was like, hmm. I can see how some adult films can come up. I'm going to read that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, maybe not. It's like, what, yeah. what would, you know, I'd been searching for what would be provocative, you know? Lesbian yeah. rights are human oh, that's so boring. Um, and then when Rachel said, this thing says lesbians free everyone. Ooh. You know? You saw it. I think you saw it. When, yeah. when it drops, when the penny goes, <laughs> like it's undeniable. I just, I just went crazy. I just immediately wrote like a quick WhatsApp to my funders and to the other people. And I said, whoa, that's the title. Mm. And they all said, oh my God, yes. Mm. Perfect. Mm. Perfect. Perfect. 
because then you know you want to also sit down and see what i mean what do you mean Lesbos? yes 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 exactly and i think we should also um keep going we should go further because it was in the kombahi river collective statement where they also mm-hmm. said if black women were free it would mean that everyone else would have to be free because our freedom would ne- would necessitate the destruction of all the systems of oppression capitalism Absolutely. patriarchy classism imperialism ecocide our freedom yes. would would do that yep absolutely mm. absolutely absolutely you don't um, know what this title i think i think someone needs to write just that thesis nyana <laughs> you know just a couple of pages about the profundity of this title and what else can be born out of it mm-hmm. and then of course when barbara smith said yes to being interviewed for the film oh yeah. my god and i was like oh, miss barbara you know, I can only use like a few seconds um because you were not in beijing but I, you know i have to have you in this film yeah she was like are you going to talk about the kumbahi river collective oh my oh my gosh <laughs> a little bit about it man but you know it's like i'm talking to barbara smith um it, it it's been an incredible journey it's, and and she of course loved the title she just kept saying oh yeah well, i saw that title too right like oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um but like I was saying earlier it it's a very intimate portrayal of the um, a movement. That's what mm-hmm. it is. We get to look inside the friendships, the shared experiences, the struggles, the joys, you know. Um there's there's a there's an envy magical quality to it in fact like you had to be there. So you give us <laughs> you give us a, a taste of it. um but we know that it's 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 something that belongs to that class to that group that you were a part of yep absolutely and i think all of us because we eventually you know i got everybody together also via zoom um yeah. and you know said okay let's try and watch this film and it's rough cut and you guys tell me what you think mm. the excitement you know and and the laughter of course you know i think everybody was quite taken aback by the fact that i keep the laughter and i i just i just and and they all agree that it ended up capturing the essence of the fun we had mm. and it's always assumed that wherever you talk lesbians there's like all these tears and it's all heavy all the time we had a lot of fun you know so th- was this was new ground for you making a amazing solidarity also yeah. a lot of fun and then of course they all most of them are all gray haired <laughs> and they all we, we don't generally see all the lesbians mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's supposed to be a kind of a new fashionable thing because the older ones have died a miserable death or something mm-hmm. and yet here 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 they are here we are laughing and and flourishing and living our lives i think there's just so many things for me when at the end of this film when i sat back i thought wow you know i like this i, I realized that even if i didn't even if nobody else liked this film i just thought well i i um, i told the story i i like this yeah and happily they like it <laughs> what was it like for you making a film entirely online this was new ground completely new ground um it had absolutely all the nerves and the jitters of of new ground i i and i also just thought oh no it's going to be seen as yet another mediocre attempt at something you know because we are known for mediocrity most of the time um because there's just so little efforts that's put into what we produce in my opinion um mm-hmm. as artists because art is just not even seen anymore so the real artists are not even you know out there but everybody else is just pushing this there's so much mm-hmm. nonsense around us you know mm-hmm. and i was just very afraid that because the quality of zoom is entirely dependent on fiber and network that you know some of it is very bad quality yeah and i was terrified that because of that i wasn't going to be able to pull it off um but 
the more I did it, the more interviews I did, and the more I looked at them, I thought, if the story holds, you know, and, and of course, one of my editors kept saying, the Blair Witch Project. That's all he can say. <laughs> Blair Witch Project. The Blair Witch Project. A whole load of... <laughs> it was shit. People <laughs> wronged the cinemas to watch it, and everyone walked away going, huh, okay, yeah, okay, okay, you know. And then, of course, you know, another editor of mine, because I, I, I kind of also surrounded myself with, with some of my favorite people that I've worked with in the industry over the years, mm-hmm. and um, and he, he's a really, he's a really pro- prolific story editor. He just kept saying to me, you know, Bev, right now. Like, even when quality is bad, when the story is good, people forgive it. Yeah. Yeah. The story is good. And there are quite a few things right now where it's just bad quality, but we are watching. We are taking uh, pictures. We're taking things with our cell phones in the dark. And as long as the sound is good and there's a piece of music and you explain it, people are lapping this up. So Mm. you're doing something. This is incredible. I also realized I wouldn't have been able to do this had we not been under lockdown. Right. It would would not have been forgivable for me to do a film on Zoom. Yes, yes, had it not been. Mm. Other Mm. people would have done this before. But I was able to talk to the Caribbean, to Mexico, to Thailand, to China, to Kenya, Uganda, USA. I talked to the world. Mm. I talked from March to August. I was talking to the world. Yes. I would not have been able to do that had, had the world not been under lockdown. So there's, there's also that. Mm. Yes. But what's, what's creativity without doubt? You know, what, what's making a project without doubt? Those yeah. two uh, walk together. Back and the forth and the, oh no, oh no, oh no. And then somebody else says, oh wow. And then you go, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, one of my closest friends is a musician. Um, mm-hmm. And every time she has to drop an album, we go through this. You know, where she says, oh, my God, what are people going to think? What do you think? You know, and we do a, a small listening session and I go, oh, my God, I love this. And then she goes, yeah, but you love me. <laughs> so, you love it. so I yeah. did the same with you this time around. I just kept calling and going, oh, God, friend. Oh, God, I'm dying. And she was like, OK, let, let me come and watch. It's like, I don't have time anymore. You're going to have to watch on the big screen with everybody else. I'm dying. Um, <laughs> You have to show me that, you know what, this is what we do as creatives. Mm. This is what we do. Mm. You know, mm. you trust whatever it is that's guiding and driving you to do this in the first place and to put it yeah. out there. You trust. Absolutely. You, you can't survive if you don't trust. Absolutely. I had to trust. Mm. Did you feel the weight of the did you feel the weight on your shoulders when you delivered the speech you know of just the lgbt community um especially those coming from the con did you feel it on your shoulders yes mm. yes um without giving the the story away for those who might be listening um yeah there's the moment where there was a whole action that was done just before my speech. Um, and in, in that time, I, I remember standing at the bottom, looking up and, and thinking, oh God, um, I've done speeches before. I've, I'm a performer. I've yeah. been one since I was a kid. This should be a piece of cake, but if I fuck this up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, sorry for my language again. No, go for it. <laughs> but, yeah, um, I'm, like I, I cannot, cannot mess this up because mm. it means that much. I mean, just to have the word sexual orientation in the platform for action. Mm. Wow, that would be life-changing. Well, of course, it still has to be implemented, right? Mm. But just the fact that it's there and one can always refer to it. Um, it was it was huge. Um but also when I gave the speech, I didn't know that I was first in the plenary, in the main space. 
Um, and so I, I think that also saved me. I can be very blasé, you know? Um, yeah. My first speech at, at the first Pride March, mm. I grew up surrounded by cameras. I didn't think where these cameras are going or where this was going to be aired or how it would be interpreted. I, like, those things don't occur to me until afterwards. I, I, I remember saying quite a few times that had I thought about the significance of some of the things that I've ended up doing in my life, I probably wouldn't have because I would have thought of it from a kind of a more conventional, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. afraid kind of space. I just yeah. generally don't think about it. And yeah. so I didn't know and I think maybe I would have messed it up had I known that I was first. Mm. Just from the nerves of it, the sheer magnitude of it. I didn't know. So I gave my speech. I performed it. I, I gave it with the passion that it deserved. I walked off the stage. I saw that the whole place was roaring. I remember seeing um, Madame Cheryl Carolas yeah. with her hands up in the air. She was screaming. And I remember thinking, Wow what's happening, you know? And then stepping outside and Rebecca Sevilla grabbing me and saying, okay, let's go. Mm. And I, I mm. turned to her and I said, what's happening? Am I first? She mm. said, yeah, you've just made history. Oh. And in that, in that time, I, I froze. And, and while that's happening, I'm being like, there's all these cameras and this media and, and these women are shouting, you're not African. You're not African. Look at you. You can't be African. Don't speak on behalf of Africans. No African can ever speak like that. There's no lesbians in Africa. And like all of this is all happening at the same time. Um, yeah, no, it's the, the magnitude of it will, will never leave me. I wanted to know because many of us can only hope to make history uh, and hopefully we're not walking through life thinking I want to make history I'm going to make history but ultimately many of us don't make history by name by detail uh, of the way we lived our life but you have how does it feel to know that I can't think about it too much okay I can't, I, every time I have, my Mm. ego has gone before me and it has tripped me and I've fallen flat on my face. Right. (laughs) And I do mean that both literally and figuratively. (laughs) And so I, I, I think it's one of the things that showed me that, you know what, we are all here to serve our own purposes, whatever they may be. You are here, you're serving your purpose, Azania, and you're serving it beautifully. Mm. You know, I am serving mine. Um, and, and when you follow your purpose and you serve it to the best of your ability, it's, it goes beyond you. Um, and so I can't, I can't think about that because then it will change who I am and I kind of like who I am. Yeah, we like who you are. I like who you are. Well, thank you. And I like who you are. <laughs> I can't walk around with a big head. I can't walk around thinking, you know, I've made history five times. Those things don't, they don't, they don't occur to me, um, you know, because I'm, I'm here to serve a purpose and I hope that I do. Um, I, one of the things that I'm clear about and sure about is that I believe that the day I'm able to just make music and write a nice script that has nothing to do with activism, that's just about life, the day I'm able to just laugh and not be afraid to walk in the street because I'm either too femme or too butch or too this or too that, then that's the day when everybody else will be free to be themselves too, right? Yeah. Um, And I look forward to that. Well, you've peppered our conversations with uh, your love of music. Uh, yes. your dream of becoming a bass player. Uh, and there was a time where it nearly slipped away. So the process of remembering you, remembering, you know, the things you like, the things that make you who you are, that because n- none of us can actually say exactly why we're curious about the things we're curious about. Mm-hmm. We don't think that you and I and anybody, we don't think the same things. So what goes through my head, the thoughts that uh, I sit with, that I stay with, curiosities that I have 
not the same to anybody else. So none of us know that, but it's also life and in doing life, we can forget, you know, mm. and mm. with your, with your music, there was a time when you had forgotten and mm-hmm. you came back and remembered you. Yep. That's exactly it. Yeah. That's exactly it. Um, we started a band last year and I played for the first time live. Mm. Um, and we went through seven songs on that stage with me and my bass on the left-hand side of the stage <laughs> in front of like hundreds of people. <laughs> and that was my first live performance in about 25, 30 years, about 30 mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. And wow. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll tell you what it did. Um, of course, in, in, on the stage, all I was thinking was get through the song, get through the song, get through the song, get through the song. Um, when I got off that stage, the feeling was of the nine-year-old, 10-year-old. <laughs> That was that that I, rem- I I reconnected with that feeling, and it was just a feeling of just pure exhilaration, like mm-hmm. I am my most full self in this moment, in the moment of performance, particularly that has to do with music. I am my most authentic self, and yeah, that was beautiful. So, I mean, you know, lockdown happened and I was so focused on the phone that I didn't, you know, practice and play as much as I could have. Yeah. Um, now I'm back to while pushing the phone and I'm, I'm practicing again and, you know, getting back to the groove. Yes. So, yeah. And have you vowed to never let it go the way you did at some point? No, my love, my love-hate relationship with music <laughs> um, Wow, it has been deep. <laughs> it's been deep. But finding myself back to just creating and to just practicing and playing, it's been, it's been beautiful. I look forward to one day saying, oh, yeah, hey, an evening with Bev and friends, you know, just mm-hmm. me on the base. That would be amazing. See, I, on like, your terms, yes. I like, I, like, I like these dreams because I dream them and then I make them happen um, most of the time. And I'm very blessed to be able to do that, you know, mm. to be able to you know, live the li- live life the way that I kind of want to live it right now. And that's what I'm doing. When I was preparing for our chat, um, this uh, quote kept coming back to me and I thought, okay, maybe I should ask it. I don't know. But Audrey Lord, when she said, it's not difference which immobilizes us, but silence. So... <laughs> Are there silences that you think need to be broken? Sure, so many. In fact, Audre Lorde's entire, the the theme has always been about like silence. I have a pin that says your silence will not protect you. Yeah. Um, Be afraid and do it anyway. Um, There's quite a few of, of her quotes that have, that I've lived my life by. Mm. and realize the truth in them, but in experientially, where you are silent, you are under attack. You are not silent, you are under attack, so you might as well speak. Mm. Um, Yes, there's a lot of silences. We are still silent about far too much. and I, I, I make connections. I think the connections that I make and sometimes the way that they come out in my work is they're subtle and sometimes mm-hmm. they're not so subtle. I really honestly think that until we can address Jack Roll mm-hmm. and address and, and, and break the silence around the fact that a lot of our leaders in industry, in business, in theology, in schools, in, in all these different spaces were actually the perpetrators of those crimes. Mm -hmm. Um, We need to break those silences about what happened to women at camps in training. Mm -hmm. 
how did this culture transcend to where we ended up with a former president who was accused of such? Mm. And, and why did those same women defend him the way they did? Why are we not talking about women's complicity in, in, in patriarchy and the status quo? Mm. We are silent about so much. We are. We are silent about all so much. We are accepting of the status quo. We are accepting. We think that we have a lot to lose if we, if we actually speak, but in actual fact, there's a whole lot more to lose if we don't. Because mm. then, you know, are we planning to continue this humanity as it is? Because right now we're going sliding back towards fascism again, right? We're going back towards repression in every way. I don't know if you see what's going on in Uganda right now. Mm. Hey, I have friends in Uganda that are posting and posting and, and, and all you're thinking is, wow, is there a leader in the world that actually cares for their people? Yeah. It, you know, it doesn't seem mm. that way. Mm. And so are we okay with the status quo? No, I'm not. Mm. I mean, I'm happy to be living in a suburb and I drive a car, which then means that I'm a bit safer than somebody else mm. who's living in, say, deep sweat. You know, so am I going to be silent because now I'm afraid I'm going to lose my nice house? I, I don't think that that's how we should be living. Yeah. I, I suppose I'm from the school of injury to one is an injury to all. Yeah. As you said, politics, we need to yes. know why. We go going back. Go back to the drawing board. Go back to the drawing board. Absolutely. We need to speak. We need to speak. Mm. And brothers need to be listening because, yo, they only listen to themselves. And they keep perpetuating the crap that they think. And they pat each other on the back and they laugh and go, oh, but actually, you're only listening to your foolish selves. Mm. It's so sad. The polarization right now is... Yeah. The polarization does make it difficult for us to meet, to find each other, to develop even empathy for each other uh, because of, of that polarization. Can we talk about the work of your foundation, the Pevditi Foundation, um, and the work that you do to advance and to create awareness and to um, just advocate and focus yeah. on the mental health of, of queer people? I, Why was um, that important to you? Why was it important for this to be the center so, and the core of this work? I am so excited about that. Thank you for asking about it. I am so excited about it. Um, the the really, I remember thinking when when I was around sixteen, seventeen, as a new member of Glow, one of the members, um, she was an artist, Kim. I'll remember her last name. When I just kept saying, "I am so depressed. I am so depressed." Um, and I, I'd been very depressed. My, I, I, you know, I'm one of those depressed and, and anxious people that kind of have always moved between depression and anxiety a lot in my life. Um, on top of everything else that was going on with, with our lives, with our sexuality, coming out, um, being all over the media um, and being attacked and living in PTSD, you know? Um, and she just... I remember she drove a beetle. She, she said, come. And we were coming from a glow meeting and she put me in the car and she drove and she took me to what was called the 702 crisis center. Oh. And it was in Berea. Yeah. And she rang the doorbell. This woman opened the door and she said, this one needs help. And she left. Mm. And that began my first therapy session. Mm. And in that therapy session, I had 10 free sessions and then I was referred to somebody else. And then, and it began a, a, a journey of self-love and of healing and of unpacking for myself what is harmful, what is not, and who am I and what am I doing? Um, and a space to just, you know, be able to talk to somebody 
about anything. And I remember just thinking, you know, besides protecting my name and my work and making sure that should, and when I leave this earth, I would like to be able to make sure that my family is going to be okay and that my community if there's a way that they can raise funds in my name so that they can advance the work, what would it be? And one of the first things was mental health. The mm-hmm. fact that we don't even have a telephone line that um, we can call. I, I, I had Lifeline and Childline while I was doing therapy as well. So that mm-hmm. in the middle of the night when things got really bad and I couldn't stop crying, there was somewhere I could call now, when you make those calls, and I, and I know this because I have made those calls, the minute you start saying, um, yeah, I am trans, you have somebody on the other end of the line that has no idea how to deal with you. Yes. Um, when you queer, there's, you have people, and sometimes, because it's also hit or miss, you never know if you're going to get somebody that is going to be okay to even listen to you or not, mm. which could make things worse, right? Um, and so I, I, I just wanted to make sure that, you know, there's mental health is very big for me and just, you know, just making sure that our people are okay, mm-hmm. that there's somebody mm-hmm. there. Because sometimes that's just that, that line is, 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 is the difference between life and death. Yeah. Yeah. As it was for me then. Um, and and now so we want to pay it forward and give that gift absolutely. to somebody else. Absolutely. I mean, my health has also not been doing good. And so being a freelancer also meant that I'm not on medical aid, which means I've also left some things for too long just because I could not afford to go get them checked out. Um, mm-hmm. So I would love to be able to kind of, you know, focus on physical mental well-being. I know that Queerwell is a new organization run by Dr. Dalsi Rokumakwe, who also now um, has, you know, mental and physical well-being of the queer community. And, you know, just to be not, because I don't want to work in silos either. That's one of the, that's where we are failing, is that we think that you are, you should be working alone on a thing when there's Mm. so many of us do, you know. So the foundation is to actually help bolster the work that is being done, but to kind of ensure that there is a telephone line that is free that people can call. Um, and I'm finding out that mental, mental health is not a priority in, in, in patriarchal society. It's, it's mental health is, is something that women think about. It's, mm-hmm. it's weak people that want to focus on mental health because when you're strong, you don't need anything that has to do with mental well-being. Right. And that's why we don't have the amount of therapists that we should have. Mm-hmm. That's why it's not a focus. And so, you know, are, are, do we have people that are being trained? Very rarely. Psychiatrists, psychologists, they have to go through so much. They have to go through honors. They go through masters because, before they even qualified. But that's yeah. not even, you know, that masters doesn't even fund that. Hmm. Which then means people are not able to actually do the, the things that they need to do. So, yes, yes. You know, we're lucky in every way. And I would like to kind of, you know, help in that regard. I mean, besides the storytelling, you know, the funding. And we also kind of help to ensure that we also see ourselves. That's part of mental well-being, to be affirmed by seeing yourself on screens. Absolutely. There's no lesbians. I don't see a non-binary lesbian easily on my screen unless they come from the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. So this will be part of the work that the foundation does. So I've I've got a final question. What is your super, what is your superpower? I think I connect with people. Mm-hmm. I think that's my superpower. <laughs> um, you know, I've thought about this. And, and I mean, there's quite a few things. I mean, I could say I'm, I know I'm a really good storyteller. Yes. Uh, yes. I think I'm, I'm a talented director. Um, mm-hmm. But my superpower is being able to emotionally connect with people. I connect with people across race, across gender, across 
religion. I like, you know, if you if you see me with some of my friends, it's quite a shock to find me with this big Afrikaans man with his huge beard, and we're laughing, you know. Um, and then the politics come, and then we are at war, and then we block each other everywhere, and then we see each other again, and we're like, hey. Um, <laughs> You know, um, but just I've just being able. I really think that through the work that I do, through being who I am, I'm, I'm, I'm only way I've been able to change perspectives and and um, perceptions have been through my ability to connect with people. Mm. I really mm. think that, that it plays a very big role. Um, my my for my neighborhood to defend me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, so yeah, that's what I think. You are a treasure. You're an absolute treasure. Thank you so much for reminding us. Just as it was said when you were when you were conferred with uh, with the doctorate, that you are such a reminder to us that freedom of expression and identity belongs to everyone. It belongs to all of us. Thank you. Thank you. I loved chatting to you. There's so much for me to, there's so much to process, so much to think about. I'm so grateful, Bev. Thank you. I appreciate you so much, Zania. Like, uh, thank you. I, very rarely do I get seen, and it's 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 when it happens, it's really incredible to be seen. And thank you. I appreciate this. Thank you, Bev. And enjoy the rest of your birthday. Enjoy <laughs> hey, dinner and a drink. Yay! <laughs> Have a great time. Enjoy it. Thank you for listening. Azanian Life brings you interiority a podcast which explores the inner aliveness of a people, hosted by Azania Musaka. Technical and music production by Mpontangeni from OCB.